Welcome to the Thread and Ladle podcast, where we share conversations about living a handmade life and inspire each other to practice daily acts of creativity. I'm your host, Beatrice Perrin Dolan. You're listening to Episode 5, Joy. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to remind listeners of two podcast-related events happening online. First is the Yokes Knit Along that is happening in my Ravelry group and on Instagram. We're knitting circular yokes of all kinds, and you can find all the details in my Ravelry group, the link of which will be in the show notes, as well as some information about circular yokes in Episode 2 of this podcast. Second is the color challenge happening on Instagram right now. Last week's episode was all about color, and I challenged you to use the information in that episode to post different color schemes and combinations from projects to stash yarn or simply things you see out in the world just to get the conversation going about color. To play along, post your photos on Instagram with the hashtag color theory for knitters. You can post as many photos as you'd like. I'd really love to keep the conversation going, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Now to begin today's episode, joy. A few years ago, a friend asked me point blank, why is handwork important to you? I was speechless. I did not know what to say. Though I knew many and many and many of the ways that handwork was important to me, I couldn't distill it into a few sentences. I couldn't find the words to say what I felt or put into words why I find so much joy in the act of making. And the reasons go far beyond joy. When I'm sad or grieving, I also want something to knit in my hands. If I'm dealing with anxiety or fear, I reach for my knitting. So the reasons that I make go far beyond just joy. There's reasons related to the long history of textiles, of women in textiles, and how making connects me to makers of the past as well as makers of the present and the future. How could I possibly distill all of this into a few sentences? Ever since that moment when that person asked me that, I've been trying to put into words the question, why is handwork important to me? It's a complex answer, and it could certainly be the topic of an entire podcast series and not simply this one episode, and I'm sure it's something we'll come back to in future episodes. But for today, today, I'm talking about joy. Just joy. Not the reasons that, that I reach out for my knitting in fear and anxiety. How it helps me cultivate joy in my life. Specifically, a book called The Book of Joy. I've been slowly reading and then also rereading this book over the last year. Though it's a pretty easy read, my reading hours are usually only when my kids are asleep, and so it can take me a while to get through a book. And as I read this one, I had the question in mind, what is it about making that brings me so much joy? First, I want to tell you a little bit more about the Book of Joy. It's based on a very conversational interview with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. They had an in-person visit in which conversations on the topics of joy were recorded. Those were then written into a book, 
by Douglas Abrams. One of the things that I really loved about the book was getting sort of an insight into the relationship between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu. Their laughter and the way they kid with each other is really touching. Their wisdom is incredibly heart-wrenching. I really think that if these two men were in charge of the world, it would be a much better place. The book is broken up into three main parts. The first section is titled, The Nature of True Joy, the second, The Obstacles to Joy, and the third, The Eight Pillars of Joy. There's also a section in the back that includes mindfulness practices and joy practices and meditations. For the first section, The True Nature of Joy, the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu describe two types of joy. The first is a joy of the senses. They say that a deeper level of joy can be found through our minds, such as through love, generosity, and compassion, and that that's really the lasting joy that will keep us happy over time. So in knitting, it just struck me that there's so much talk about stash and yarn chopping, and it just struck me that, and they actually talk about material wants in the book and how sort of the the joy you find over, you know, purchasing something, for instance, a beautiful skein of yarn, is not a lasting joy. We might get a little bit of joy out of it in that moment, but it's not a joy that will stick with us and keep us truly happy. Another example of this might be, you know, a sweater that we see online and on Ravelry or on Instagram, and it's something we want in our wardrobe. It's something we have to have, and this, I think, another another joy of the senses. It's not a lasting joy. But I think that we often do find a deeper level of joy through making. For instance, when we knit for those we love or give our knits away to a good cause, when we use our craft as a meditation. So I think that there are both kinds of joy in the act of making. And I hope that through the conversation today, we can be more mindful of what kind of joy we are cultivating through our handwork. For the second sort of section in the book, The Obstacles of Joy, it was such a rich chapter that I actually wanted to read you uh, a a couple of paragraphs instead instead of tell you my take on it. There's an Egyptian word called dukkha, which can be translated as stress, anxiety, suffering, or dissatisfaction. It is often described as the mental and physical suffering that occurs in life, illness, and aging, It is also described as the stress and anxiety that arise from the attempt to control what is fundamentally impermanent and unable to be controlled. We try to control the moment, which results in our feeling that what is happening should not be happening. So much of what causes heartache is our wanting things to be different than they are. I think, in many cases, the Dalai Lama explained, you develop some sort of unhappiness, some discontent, which leads to frustration and anger. While stress and frustration may sound like superficial problems or complaints, the Buddha identified them as the core of so much of our unnecessary or created suffering. I was reminded of what the Dalai Lama had said on our first day. We cannot end natural disasters or the suffering they cause, but so much of the rest of our suffering we can. felt like that was such a perfect paragraph for really describing that entire chapter. The last section, or the third section of the book, is called The Eight Pillars of Joy, and I felt like this was really such a gem of the book. In it, they talk about eight eight 
pillars, perspective, humility, humor, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. And like I said, I was really thinking, what is it about making, the act of making that that brings me joy? And as I was reading, it kind of struck me that perspective, acceptance, forgiveness, and compassion are not as directly related to my making, though I think they could be. The four pillars that I thought were definitely more directed to, uh, related to making was, for certain, humility and humor. Um, I know that we all get frustrated from time to time. We've all had to rip out projects. And how we approach this, you know, if we approach it with humility and humor, then we're actively working on those pillars of joy. Uh, and I, so maybe think about that the next time that you have to frog something or rip it out or you're frustrated with something, that if we approach it with humility and with humor, we're, we're really becoming better people and finding a more everlasting joy in our lives. One of the other pillars I thought was really pertinent was generosity. It struck me as an area so many knitters are actively working on. Now, there's such a range of knitters and makers who make things only for themselves or who knit only for loved ones, and probably most of us are somewhere in the middle. Sometimes we knit for ourselves and sometimes we knit for others. In the book, they talk about different kinds of generosity, the first one being material generosity. And just consider that if you're making something for a loved one, this is a form of generosity. And perhaps if we are making something for someone in need, it's not only generous, but it's also cultivating another of the pillars, which is compassion. Now, they talked about other kinds of generosity too, but this one seems the most relevant to the act of making as we're making objects. Gratitude is another pillar that I think is easily worked on into a, in a life and is perhaps the rest, perspective, compassion, forgiveness, will come more easily if we are practicing gratitude. Now, in, in my house, we have a nightly ritual of saying something that we are grateful for over dinner. Some people keep gratitude journals. I personally don't have the self-discipline for that. And honestly, over time, like I, I have young children, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. It wasn't something that fit neatly into my life. So the nightly ritual of doing this over dinner was something that I could remember to do. And most nights, I, I go beyond what I just say at the table. And I think of other things that I say to myself as well which I could certainly write down. And I have this idea that gratitude, a gratitude practice could easily be part of a knitting routine. Maybe it's something you do at the end of the day. Probably many of you have a little wind down time in the evening with your knitting. And I had just imagined as I was reading that this could be something that was part of my evening wind down routine. Um, a moment when I could list to myself five things that I'm grateful for from the day, whether I want to write them down or not. There are so many ways to have a gratitude practice that I'd love to know what some of yours are. And really, I think that so much of uh, what I've read in the book, really, you could work into your knitting. So especially I found um, the chapter about meditations you could really easily, you could work knitting into your meditation or meditation into your knitting because I've, I've seen so many times actually I think there is a hashtag for it knitting as a meditation or knitting meditation it's already something that so many of us find deeply meditative that it's not a stretch for me to think that we could intentionally make 
part of our knitting routine, an active meditation, not just a meditative act. When I was in graduate school, I actually had to work at meditations as part of one of my courses. And I we tried different meditations, and I found that I'm really terrible at meditation. Um, I went to a meditation class as part of this college course, and we would sit, you know, in stillness and imagine our thoughts floating off on the clouds or something. And I was I was rubbish at it. I would be like a five year old. I I was like my five year old son at dinner. I would start like, oh, I have an itch. Oh my gosh, how much. But I, but if I itch it, then I'm going to disturb. I'm not being still. I'm not doing my meditation. And, oh, oh, but now I have an itch over here. And I was a mess at meditation. Uh, but through the course of trial and error, I did find that walking meditation worked really well for me. Now, I think that there's different ways you can do this. You can simply walk back and forth in a room. Uh, you can go for an actual walk. And they do talk about this in the Book of Joy. Uh, but I, I think that another one after walking meditation is knitting. There's still a movement involved. There's, uh, as long as it's a mindless movement, though, I would say there's probably a great difference between knitting a garter stitch uh, scarf and knitting a huge cable work sweater. And if you are considering or thinking about creating a mindfulness or meditative meditation in knitting, then maybe consider that what project you're going to use. And this is all something that I've been thinking about doing for myself as well. So, Sometime last year, I realized that I really needed a few minutes of knitting in my morning. And as I mentioned, I have two young children. So our mornings are often stressful and busy and loud. And, and there's not always time for me to, to, to set aside for meditating. In fact, there's almost no time. But I was really intentional last year of setting aside five or ten minutes every morning, despite what was happening around me with my kids, uh, and that was my time to knit. I just needed five or ten minutes of silent knitting, and I was really intentional about that for a while. I've got fallen off that bandwagon recently, but I'm trying to get our mornings to a place where I can do that again. And it had just occurred to me that if I had a very intentional um, way that I approached these five or 10 minutes, then I could really do an active meditation and not just a five or 10 minute knitting time. So in the book, in the joy of the book of joy, the morning and they have a section in the meditation area or, um, in the back of the book called morning intention setting, which includes asking yourself, what is my heart's desire what do I wish for myself, my loved ones, and for the world? And they're really talking about a desire beyond temporary wants. Then they suggest stating an intention for the day. And if you aren't sure what your intention is, then it could be, may all beings attain happiness. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings never be separated from joy. May all beings abide in equanimity. So I have um, thought that when, once I'm able to incorporate my own morning knitting again, that perhaps this is an easy way to, to have that be part of it and just be more mindful and meditative intentionally with that time in my day. And I would love to hear from you all whether this is something you already do, because I haven't heard anyone talk about this, so I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who are already doing it. 
And if you aren't, I would just love to hear your thoughts about that. Now, in the book, they they have quite a vast range of different meditations and joy practices you could do. But as I mentioned, the gratitude practice earlier, what I do every evening at dinner with my family, um, I thought that that is another one that could easily be incorporated into sort of my evening routine. And either say it out loud or journal five things that you're grateful for. And studies have shown that a gratitude practice is an incredible physical and mental, uh, is incredibly physically physically and mentally beneficial to your health. People who focus on gratitude by keeping a list of what they are grateful for had fewer physical symptoms, felt better about their lives, and were more positive about the week ahead. And I've been doing this for a while with my family and and to myself. I do take time. And, you know, like I said, I don't write it down, but I take time to just look around and be grateful for what I have. And as humans, I think, and especially in our modern world, it's really easy to sort of get sucked into a negative spiral of not having enough or not being able to take care of things right now. For instance, you know, uh, my husband and I last year bought uh, an older house that needs a lot of love, and we don't have the money to fix everything right away. And we could easily fall into a negative spiral Um, about, and they're important things, you know, big things like a roof and a foundation that need some work. And I could easily fall into a negative spiral about the, the, those things, or I could really take a moment to be grateful for all of that we have been able to fix on our house. And the fact that we have a home with a roof over our head, it's really about perspective. And I think part of the thing is, you know, if you if you choose to start a gratitude practice or a morning intention setting, whether part of your knitting routine or not, you over time is when you really start to see the benefits. This isn't something you can do once and see, you know, uh, uh, benefits to your mental and physical health. It's it's something that's going to take time. It's something that you have to to keep at consistently. And I can honestly say that I think it's really shifted my own perspective and helped me be grateful for the things that I have. Uh, And if you're interested in the book, I highly recommend reading it. And if people are interested in reading it and chatting about it, then we can set up a thread for that in my Thread and Ladle Ravelry group. I wanted to leave you with this quote today from the Book of Joy. I've sometimes joked and said God doesn't know very much math, because when you give to others, it should be that you are subtracting from yourself. But in this incredible kind of way, I've certainly found that to, that to be the case so many times. You gave, and then it seems like, in fact, you are making space for more to be given to you. And there is a very physical example. The Dead Sea in the Middle East receives fresh water, but it has no outlet, so it doesn't pass the water out. It receives beautiful water from the rivers and the water goes dank. I mean, it just goes bad. And that's why it is the Dead Sea. It receives and does not give. And we are made much that way too. I mean, we receive and we must give. In the end, generosity is the best way of becoming more, more, and more joyful. Thank you for joining me today on the Thread and Ladle podcast. I would be delighted if you could take the time to leave a review on iTunes. It helps this podcast reach interested listeners, and it helps me continue to produce it.
Thank you for joining me today on the Thread and Ladle podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes are posted or when I publish new knitting patterns, you can sign up for my email list at threadandladle.com slash newsletter. You can also find me on Ravelry and on Instagram under the handle at threadandladle. Until next time, may you find joy and creativity in your days.